All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode three of It's Eclectic with Sam and Harry. This is Harry speaking. Uh, if you're with us on Anchor, then you just heard uh, the song Cut Him In by Anderson Pock featuring Rick Ross. So yeah, that's something that we have uh, unfortunately not mentioned, I don't believe, in the last couple episodes, but we realized that you're actually only going to be able to hear the music that we introduce at the beginning of each episode and uh, conclude with. Um, if you're listening via Anchor. So you don't need to have the app or have an account to listen to our podcast uh, as long as you have the link. Um, but that being said, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or something like that, uh, you're probably going to be hearing you know, us introducing songs as the first thing of each episode, but not actually hearing the music. So just a heads up, if you want to hear the music, you got to check it out on Anchor or you can just listen to whatever uh, the title of the song is that we're you know introducing and go check it out for yourself so yeah that was cut him in by anderson pack uh really dope song honestly love his music love his vibe um you know the intro to the song kind of talks about you know sometimes in life you need a friend sometimes you uh, need a foe and i just think that's really cool and empowering because uh definitely you know like sometimes maybe people can rub us the wrong way and we might not you know want to like be motivated by certain things but i do think that in life, sometimes some healthy competition or some, uh, you know, things in opposition to us kind of help us, you know, get going sometimes when we might need it. Um, aside from that, before I get into the uh, positive psych intro today, I uh, also want to mention some just like kind of recapping the last episode or touching on a couple things. Um, so we talked about artificial intelligence, virtual reality, technology, and, you know, whether it's good or bad, things like that. Uh, in episode two, and we mentioned uh, Ready Player One as a movie by Steven Spielberg that, you know, talks about virtual reality and shows a bunch of different um, angles of kind of what the future could be like, and we, you know, we want to give credit where credit is due. Someone, one of our listeners, you know, uh, gave us a shout out and let us know that we should also mention um, who the uh, actual writer of Ready Player One is, so actually let me just pull that up real quick. I don't know why it wasn't already up. <laughs> I had the wrong Wikipedia page open. But yeah, so Ready Player One um, was originally a novel that was written by Ernest Klein. So the screenplay was by Zach Penn and Ernest Klein based on Klein's 2011 novel of the same name. Um, but the movie directed by Steven Spielberg is Ready Player One. So just to touch on that before we get into uh, the rest of this episode, uh, you know, before I guess before I dive into the positive psych, Sam, is there any recap or, you know, I'll let you introduce yourself for this episode too, I guess. Hey guys, how are you? Good to keep, uh, be speaking with you today. No, I don't have anything too much to add. I mean, I think I was talking a bit with some people about like the conversation we were having and someone brought up an interesting point is that like we you know, talk a lot about like in society, um, how we're today in this ultra uber, like tech facing and tech forward um, reality. But they were saying to me, isn't it funny that in every point in, 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 in history that techno everyone thought technology was super advanced. And I think it's just like an interesting thing to put into context. I mean, obviously, we are um, living in this era where, as we talked about in the last episode, um, you know, at, at our fingertips, we have access to these devices and tools that kind of really extend what we're able to do. But, um, you know, they were saying, well, isn't it crazy? Wasn't it crazy when like fire was invented or the wheel or these things that, yeah. you know, at the time were um, mass, I mean, they changed the, 
they changed the course of humanity in a way rather than just like maybe being able to talk to I don't know, like a computer or see something in a virtual reality headset. So just like an interesting like uh, extension of what we talked about last week. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, I remember we kind of were touching on this point like talking the other day, but definitely uh, I agree with that. I mean, I think that, you know, I've, I've thought about before how like there are still, you know, less than there ever have been, you know, unfortunately, but there are still a lot of like, I guess, rural or, um, I don't know what the right word, the right word's not coming to me, but there's a lot of like uh, more primitive, I guess, like less developed or um, less urban like societies still left in the world that, or like relative to the most, you know, industrialized or urban urban cities and and, uh, countries. Um, They still exist where like certain technology is not, you know, accessible for everybody in the world right now. So there's always going to be a delay, like even back then when there were, before there was the internet and things could just be kind of like, you know, information could just be sent around the world in an instant, you know, there definitely still was um, a a slow build before everybody had access to all these technologies that kind of really changed everything. And I think, you know, even with virtual reality and artificial intelligence and robotics and all these things, there's, there's going to be a similar delay. So I do, even though things are like exponentially more advanced than they were back then. And, you know, I think we talked about this, you know, in a private conversation, but just how, um, you know, there was a certain amount of inventions, you know, up until like a certain point in the 1800s or 1900s. And, you know, since, like, I forget what invention it was specifically, but since the invention of one particular thing, there have been like this exponential jump in inventions since then, and more things have been created or invented technologically, you know, in the last like 100 years than the previous, like, you know, thousands of years before that. So I think it's just like kind of the context of how quickly we're able to you know, advance technology and invent things like you said, once the wheels invented, once all these other things are invented, you can kind of just like really hit the ground running. So definitely some more, you know, interesting things to talk about with technology. Uh, I think we'll probably go back to that for a future episode. Definitely. Totally. Um, but yeah, so I guess just be, just to get into this episode, uh, starting with our positive psych, I know we just gave a couple kind of like other intros, but this will be the final intro before we get into the topics for the day. Um, but just to start you off with a quick quote. So I know I talk about um, journaling a lot, and this is another quote from my Thought a Day journal, 365, great quotes to inspire you each and every day. This one's from Confucius, and it says, to be wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. So I think, you know, that's kind of like a, um, a sentiment or a message that, you know, comes across in lots of quotes I've seen, which is just essentially, you know, not to hold on to negative things or hold on to even positive things, just because it's important sometimes to let things go and move forward so you can see clearly or live in the moment and uh, be able to uh, react to what's going on around you. But I really like the phrasing of this, you know, it's to be wrong is nothing, you know, that's kind of the beginning of the quote. It's It's really nothing unless you you know, continue to remember it, you know, I, I, one book that I read a lot um, about happiness and Buddhism talks about how pain is inevitable in this life. And that's so true. Like we're all going to experience pain emotionally, spiritually, physically, you know, going through life. But suffering is something that is optional. And it's hard not to suffer. Suffering is going to happen too. We're going to hold on to pain. We're going to think about things. We're going to wonder why things happen to us at times. But Suffering is optional, and another good way to phrase it is suffering is manageable, which again, I'm stealing from one of my favorite books, and uh, yeah, it's manageable, so we don't need to, you know, hold on to negative thoughts or experiences, we can kind of just decide, you know what, I'm going to learn from this, and I'm just going to control what I can control now, so, you know, and to end the rant there, as usual, um, 
you know, Confucius giving us a great quote today. Yeah, I think it's a great quote also. And I think it can also just be exemplified by the quote, which is just live and learn, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if you don't learn from the past, if you don't remember the, the things about that moment, whether it's good or bad, that um, affected you in that moment, um, and you don't learn from it, then obviously you're going to re repeat mistakes, repeat pain, repeat um, suffering, uh, re repeat some of these um, potentially negative uh, emotions if you don't learn. So yeah, today we're going to be kind of switching gears in a big way. Um, the first episode we talked about sports and social justice. Uh, the second episode we talked about technology, and today we're talking about one of our favorite things, which is food. Um, Harry, Harry, and I, Harry and I were lucky enough to grow up in a household uh, where food was a big part of our family. Um, our, our, our dad was a chef. Um, when, he, when he was 16 or so, he dropped out of high school and went and started cooking in kitchens. And I think for about 25 years, um, he was a professional chef. And um, we benefited greatly uh, as children from his amazing skills. Um, he's actually a vegetarian, but even though, you know, he's vegetarian, he cooked us all kinds of foods and um, from many different cultures and backgrounds and really healthy food and something we're really lucky to have. And at the same time, we had a mother who really opened our, you know, dad's kind of like a picky eater, even though he's a yeah. chef, um, but mom really opened our horizons, you know, and I remember she would take us out to dinners and we would go to this place, this place called Dimitri's actually in Philadelphia and have um, like uh, a calamari. And I just remember like having all these different, you know, we, we've had one of our favorite restaurants in Philly um, is Burmese food. And there's like all, all kinds of food we were introduced to. You know, a lot of people grow up in the States eating like TV dinners and just like microwave food and, you know, meat, starch, veggies, that's kind of it. But we benefited from, I think, uh, a really nice, uh, you know, family focus on food. So today we're going to talk about food. Yeah, mom and dad definitely. I mean, you know, he said as we grew up benefiting from this stuff, we definitely still still benefit from this stuff when we're around mom and dad. Um, you know, whether whether dad's cooking or mom's like trying to, you know, ex experiment with some new takeout or new restaurant, or, you know, to support them or during the pandemic, especially, which is something that, you know, we've been trying to do a lot here in Philly. Um, but yeah, it's been amazing. It's awesome to like experience uh, the things we've experienced and then go other places and kind of realize like, oh man, we've had it maybe better than we thought we did. And I definitely you know, experienced that the most going to college and being like, damn, I was really eating good every single night. And now it's <laughs> like, you know, using my dining dollars to get some bullshit sushi or something just to hold me over or whatever it might've been. Um, but yeah, we eat great at home and you know, dad cooks with, uh, you know, he shows his love through his cooking in a lot of ways. And um, just the, that, that kind of is something that's so special and important to food in general. And a lot of people experience it that way, whether it's having a meal with a friend, with friends or family or um, cooking something for someone special. I think that food is really a, a special thing to share with the people, with the people that you love and um, something that we enjoy doing for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to start the conversation um, with a quote. Actually, last week I introduced my, my musical choice was from an artist named Collard, who I just discovered. And I did a bit of like reading and digging into him. And one of the quotes he had in this article was about food and music. But what he said was, I look at music, for example, like food. What you put in your body is what it becomes. And so I think music should be spiritual and full of meaning. It's nutrition. 
being such a consumer society, you have to be careful what you take in. You are what you consume. And, you know, we often say like you are what you eat. Um, but I think it's, you know, just like, a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very important uh, idea. You know, uh, we sometimes, pe the way people look at food, like for example, some people look at food, you know, just for like joy or pleasure or something like that. And then actually there's a whole nutrition side to it. Actually, Harry, you, you're, you're maybe the best person on this two person call to talk about, you know, your, your, um, you know, understanding of, of food and nutrition. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely interesting. I mean, I, I think you and I definitely can, uh, uh, you know, remember times when nutrition wasn't that, you know, prominent in society or in people's lives in general. I mean, you know, in terms of calorie counts being on menus at restaurants or, or just you know, even nutrition facts being totally accurate. I think that nutrition is definitely a, a trend that is, I don't necessarily want to call it a trend, but it's definitely something that has been trending uh, as more prominent, as I said, in people's lives over the course of our lifetime, definitely. And year to year, it gets even more uh, important. And I think that's something that I've experienced as I grew up and got into training, like transitioning from sports specific stuff to fitness or, or you know, going to the gym and working out in that sense. Um, similarly, I was, I became more aware of what I was putting in my body. And, you know, growing up, I was an athlete and running around and having high metabolism and eating whatever I wanted and stuff like that. And I still, to a certain degree, get away with that. But you really do have to pay attention to what you're putting in your body if you want to feel good and if you want to you know have the energy to do the, th the things you want and also like you know it helps when you're eating um certain foods uh will make it hard for you to go to sleep or like hurt your gut in ways that makes you um, irritable during the day like every little thing that you put in your body definitely affects um way more than we realize and eating good foods eating healthy foods is important and you can really you know accomplish much more during the day um, when you're, you know, diet, not necessarily dieting, I don't want to use that word, but when you're consuming the right things. And it's also important, you know, because then you realize, you know, when indulging, you know, goes a little bit too far sometimes that, um, you know, beyond just not feeling good, you can really understand like kind of the effects of that as well. Um, that being said, I am someone who loves to indulge and I really do love sweets. So I'm not really, you know, as much as you said, I'm the, I'm the nutrition guy of the two of us. I'm definitely not nutrition guy in general. So well, I mean, it's all about it's all about balance, you know. Right. I mean, for me, and I, for me, I think yeah, there's all these different diets out there, and again, not diets or ways of eating, I guess. And um, really, I mean, you really just have to do through testing and understanding your own body. You know, like sometimes, like I don't eat as much meat as I used to, and for a long time, I was going to vegetarian. But I mean, one of the things, like I'll notice once in a while, I just crave a bit of meat, you know, and then I'll just I'll eat it and. You know, I think there's obviously very scientific and like you can go to a medical professional and like have all these tests and things like that. But also, I think if you listen really like to your, I'm going to try to stop saying like so much, actually. So mm -hmm. um, um, if you listen to your body and really get more in touch with your body, kind of like we, what we talked about one of the recent episodes about listening to your mind or your heart, I think you can also listen to your you know your gut really you know yeah, when you definitely. eat something and you feel a certain way good or bad the next morning how you time it all, all these things um and even beyond the pure nutrition element i think when you think about you are what you eat you should also think about where your food's coming from you know where it's grown how it's produced is it local um because there's you know as i get more and more into kind of 
I wouldn't, I don't want to call it spirituality, but I guess it's the closest word I have for it. A lot of the conversations I have with people about nutrition is also about, you know, where the food comes from, who produces it, are the animals happy or, or are they, you know, not living a great life? Um, is the crop you're, get, uh, you're getting it from, is it like a monocrop farm or is it a farm where, you know, the crops are kind of growing in a more organic way and have more flexibility and all these things. And I do think there's a lot of importance in um, kind of how food is produced and where it comes from. And that's something that's not really talked about as much. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, you know, living in America, we have very, uh, you know, very full supermarkets with tons of different like processed foods and different brands of different things. And the choices can be overwhelming at times. And I think a lot of the times the choices can also be um, underwhelming in the sense of uh, the nutritional value, like we we're just kind of talking about, but also in terms of the value you're providing for the world or for um, or for workers or things of that nature, because a lot of these big companies, and again, I don't, you know, we're going to, I'm a, I don't want to be like super anti-capitalist every single episode, but and just to talk about some of those things, I think it is really um, great when you're able to find local produce or local goods that you can, that are supporting local farmers or people who are making the food themselves versus, you know, going to the supermarket and buying some stuff that is probably not going to make you feel as good to eat and also isn't as fresh and isn't as, um, sustainable for the environment and things of that nature. So there's a lot of benefits to eating locally sourced foods. And I think, you know, it's, it goes beyond, like I said, just your own guts benefit, but it goes, you know, it goes towards helping, you know, people who are doing something um, for themselves and for their families. And also doing it probably for, with a level of passion that you're not going to get from, uh, you know, some of these other bigger, you know, brands. So I think there's like a lot that goes into, um, you know, goes into uh, finding locally sourced foods. And it's not always super easy. But if you do have the opportunity, I think it's well worth it for sure. Yeah, I mean, you touched on the sustainability angle. And I think that's also quite important. You know, we we don't think about that very often. But you know, for example, I was at the market today, I'm in Turkey, and I was looking at the bananas, and I love bananas, but they're all from South or Central America, the oranges are also not local. And then you start to think about like how the food that you're consuming is affecting the environment, things like that. The other yep. factor is just that, you know, before planes and cargo ships and all these things, people were only eating what was local. So there has to be enough abundant local produce, um, depending on where you are. Um, and so there's something about eating seasonally, eating locally, that I think is quite like refreshing as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, you know, I think we're going to touch on it a little bit later, but that's one thing that... Um, with the Bon Appetit brand and at least in their video content, that's what they were primarily uh, focusing on. You know, one way that they could kind of like decide what they were going to be making for different different content segments would be based on the season because they're using foods that were in season all the time, cooking with that kind of to like, you know, cater to home cooks and, and things of that nature who might be looking for good produce, but are thinking, oh man, I'm watching this video and they're cooking this food that I can't have access to because it's not in season. Well, you know, as opposed to doing like food, you know, food content about that, Bon Appetit was always focusing on what foods are in season, which I think is, you know, beyond just like sustainability, it's kind of a cool way to approach cooking, I think. It's you get to experiment with different things and kind of uh, be guided by the seasons and, and what's right. So I think that's pretty cool um, and definitely something that Again, I would try to do if, if I were, you know, if I were able to, um, for those of us listening out there. 
Yeah, another interesting angle about this whole conversation is, uh, again, going a little bit more in the spiritual direction, is the idea of putting actual love and positive vibrations into your food. Um, Mm -hmm. I talked to some people um, recently, the last few months, that you know, whenever they put seasonings or salt or things like that into their food, they talk to it beforehand or, you know, when they're, before they cut up the vegetable, they, you know, give it like a little bit of a rub or something like that. And, you know, and I don't know, I mean, I, I do, I do, you know, there's no harm in doing that. And I believe that there actually are um, experiments where, and I'm going to butcher this, but, you know, some the idea of like talking to some kind of object and it and or some kind of oh i think it was rice actually it was rice and this person was talking to the rice in different um tones or saying different words positive or negative and over time some of the rice i think it was in some kind of liquid formed like fungus in some instances Mm -hmm. and then other instances it didn't form anything it was totally healthy so you know there's definitely something Uh, i think these things are living you know i mean We we should show love to and 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 thanks and and you know gratefulness to the things that we consume. I I mean I agree on some level for sure, and I think it's one of those things like who knows what you know, the truth is to some degree about some of this stuff. I do know that that in general with like yeast or like bacteria, there's like bacteria in the air, and um, you know if you're like making you're for do it using fermentation to make like something like kombucha or. Um, or kimchi or you know various fermented products for fermented foods a lot of the nuance and flavor and things like that can be uh, found in the air depending on where you're making the food or making the products or where you're leaving the container that it's you know it's fermenting in so i think that might have more to do with it than just talking to the food or the rice and i would be interested to see scientifically in that experiment what the real factors were but in general i do agree with kind of love and love, putting love into your food and you can really tell the difference between i mean you know go go to eat at some restaurant chain like arby's or i mean i don't want i've actually never really been to arby's i don't know why i said that maybe like mm-hmm. uh tgi fridays or something like that you eat, you eat the steak or whatever food's being cooked and it is what it is it's some generic thing it's some you know basic you know tasting meal but if you have you know a mom or a dad at home or you know a significant other who's you know wants to make something special for you and they really take the time and they're kind of putting their little flair onto it and sprinkling the, a certain amount of salt again it's like a little human touch human error you know you might call it in some situations whether you know i know when people do pottery it's like little nuances in the asymmetry of the pot um, that you're making might make it more special and i think that's the same kind of idea with making food or eating food you know the little nuances of the differences um, and each time somebody makes a dish you know might create different experiences and different flavors that really do feel special and um, like I said you know people cook with love and they and they share their love through food um, that really does make the experience that much better yeah it's like mom always said when we were little uh, take the extra time to make something special you know and it's like or take show the little extra love to make something special but it also I think comes a lot down to ingredient obviously you know some of the best and I, this all this talk about food is making me very hungry but oh, yeah. and i'm thinking about some of the best you know meals and the best dishes or the best foods i've ever had and a lot of it comes down to ingredients you know it's not that it was like the most fancy dish ever it was just that the quality of the ingredients were so good and um yeah very clean cooking and simple cooking and the right amount of seasoning and i think there's all this talk not talk i mean i just you know it's very trendy to have this very fancy 
complicated food. And of course that stuff can be delicious too, but at the end, the quality of the ingredient, the care, the, the finesse, you know, these are the things that really make delicious food. I completely agree. And that's, you know, those are things that I like uh, experience joy and frustration with, I would say on, on different levels, you know, whether I'm on Instagram seeing like, oftentimes I feel like it's like some place in New York where it's like, oh, look at this crazy, like, you know, ice cream shake that has like all this shit. In it. And it looks like something that when I was a kid, I would have looked at and been like, oh, man, it's probably the most delicious thing of all time. But as I've gotten older and I've experimented with, you know, munching on different foods, you know, at night or things like that, I realize sometimes less is more and just like making something that like looks cool or like wrapping a, you know, wrapping a fucking some, you know, pasta with like a chicken taco or something like that to have some like, you know, take on chicken Alfredo or, you know, wrapping uh, cotton candy around a chocolate bar or whatever, all these like crazy, you know, trends that people see on, on you know, social media or at different places in America. That stuff is just like, that's not good. It doesn't make it better. It's just like, it's just you're trying to get attention. It's like the same thing with, you know, people in life, like doing too much and just trying to get attention without having the, the actual substance to make you enjoy the experience. And, you know, for me, it's like some of the best food I've ever had came when I visited Italy excuse me, I visited Italy and I visited Rome, uh, Naples and uh, Sorrento and just experimenting with the different, you know, pizza and pasta and, and different seafood dishes that I, I ate while I was in Italy. It was very, very clear that something was different about the food. I mean, it, you know, I didn't feel the same way I felt eating pizza or pasta in America, even if I was going to a nice restaurant. And what I realized was that the difference was the ingredients and how fresh those ingredients were in those dishes that I had while I was in Italy. I mean, they're getting the eggs from a chicken that is on some local farm, you know, each day. They're getting the tomatoes fresh from, you know, where they're growing the tomatoes in Italy. The olive oil is, you know, being squeezed, you know, uh, freshly every single day. So it's just like the exper experience of all those different, um, you know, foods and ingredients from places that were not, you know, being shipped across the ocean or things like that really did you know, make the eating experience that much better. And, you know, coming back to America, I've realized like, you know what, America does really have some of the best food in the world, because especially because we have so many different cultures here that make so mm. many different cuisines. But our food is definitely saltier on average than if you're going to these other places. And there's, you know, more, um, you know, spices or things like that, maybe to kind of just like heighten the flavor of certain dishes that don't need all that in other parts of the world because the ingredients are so fresh they can stand for themselves and have a lot of that natural flavor and going back to that point about you know making food with love i mean people are out there using you know, centuries old uh, techniques to raise these pigs or grow these tomatoes or do or you know uh, squeeze this olive oil and that really does again make a make a big difference versus kind of like a factory produced processed um, product that you might find in america Totally. Yeah. I mean, the Mediterranean diet, I think is, is the best diet. It's, it's so, it's so based around simplicity, really fresh ingredients. I've had some amazing, I've never been to Italy, but spent some time in Spain, had some delicious seafood, you know, but all they do is just cook it very lightly, some olive oil, salt, pepper, a little bit of lemon, like, bam, that's all you need on these things. And man, I'm just salivating thinking about <laughs> it. Um, one of the best meals I ever had was also very simple. It was at um, Sushi Nakazawa, which is in New York City. It's in the West Village. And um, also one of the most expensive meals I ever had. But if you've ever seen the documentary Euro Dreams of Sushi, it was on Netflix for a long time, um, about this 
you know, he, at the time, I think he was in his 80s. I'm not sure if he's still alive, actually. Yeah, I'm not sure he owned this um, uh, little sushi restaurant in a subway station in Tokyo. And um, he had been just making sushi for his entire life. And it was just this repetition plus ingredient equation that resulted in this incredible, incredible sushi. And his protege, his name is Nakazawa, went to New York and opened up his own restaurant. And that meal, I mean, it was just, you know, it's just rice and some, some fish. Um, but great quality fish, great quality ingredients. You know, the 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 um, wasabi is all fresh. The fresh ginger is all, all fresh. They're using salts that are, you know, really particular. And the, the pairings of you know the 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 fish and the the type of salt and the type of you know wasabi or all these things like everything was so meticulous. But in the end, it's just a handful of ingredients just done super super well and um chosen very very carefully yeah i think that's like what it comes down to all the time i know like you know again we'll probably talk about some food content you know shows things we've been into recently um in a little bit later but you know one of my favorite food shows ever is chopped and i think a lot of people can agree chopped is like one of the best shows you know in terms of uh food competitions out there and the you know for those of you that might not know chopped essentially is it's three rounds of cooking where different chefs compete using mystery baskets of ingredients um, that are completely like random and like shouldn't really go together to make the entree or the dessert or whatever the course of you know is in that round um and my favorite host or not my favorite host my favorite judge on the show has always been marcus samuelson who's an awesome uh, ethiopian chef who's like you know has uh, I forget what the name of his restaurant in Harlem is, um, but he's something got a great, rooster. yeah, I think it's like Red Rooster or something like that. I forget. Um, but he's an amazing chef, and his whole thing is always talking about flavor profiles of dishes and how if you have the right combination of flavor profiles, salty, sweet, or if you're doing specific ingredients, um, using specific ingredients that might go together, that's really how you can bring the most out of a certain dish or create the most like kind of dynamic experience. And I totally agree with that. I mean whether it's stuff I'm making at home, like if it's even if it's like a bowl of cereal with like different ingredients in it, salty, sweet, you know, putting fruit or peanut butter in it as well, things of that nature, uh, adding a crunch or component to like a pasta dish even. I mean, things of that, things like that really elevate dishes for me. And um, just touching on, you know, your, your regimes of sushi point, I think that's the whole nature of the simplicity of really amazing dishes is that these people have experienced food on, you know, enough times and on different levels that they really just know what the right combos are and you don't need to overdo it or, you know, dump a bunch of hot sauce on it, which I definitely sometimes do too much of as much as I love hot sauce. Like I, sometimes I'm like, damn, I just made it taste too much like sriracha. And honestly, I think you should always taste your food before you add things to it. That's something mom tries to tell me to do a lot, but you know, I still dump a little hot sauce on prematurely sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Man, I'm thinking about also one of the things I've been thinking about as we've been talking is this. Uh, when I was in Vietnam, um, I was in Hanoi in the north, and um, I found out about this local pho um, restaurant. And um, in we, we actually are very lucky in Philly. We have a lot of great pho and great Vietnamese restaurants in South Philly. Shout out South Philly. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I found this great restaurant, not a restaurant, like a hole in the wall. Right. And we went, I went with my ex-girlfriend, it was like probably eight, 
eight o'clock in the morning, it's only locals in line. You know, there's 20 or 25 yeah. Vietnamese people in line and you get to the front of the line and they have a little like assembly, assembly line going on. One guy's chopping the meat, the other person pours the noodles and stuff in and the other person the broth. And there's something about this soup, I think, is there's so much care needed in soup. You know, you have to cook down the ingredients, really get them into the, the right taste. The, the vegetables have to be the right, you know, texture, the noodles, if there's noodles. Um, and this pho, they cook it all, the broth all night long. I mean, the, the way you tell a good pho broth is it, it should be clear. Um, and uh, it was super clear and almost really pale brown, you know, but there's this insanely delicious, um, beefy, brothy flavor. And uh, man, soup, I think, is some one of my favorite foods um, because you need to put so much attention and care into it and so much time. And it cooks over for a long period of time. Man, I'm really salivating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, but, uh, but yeah, oof, that... That if I can ever recommend anybody to go have a, a bowl of pho in Vietnam, I, I mean, if you have the chance to do it, absolutely need to. Yeah, pho is one of my favorite foods easily. Definitely South Philly, we're lucky. And, you know, all, in other places in Philly too, but there's a lot of great pho spots in South Philly. Um, for anyone in the area, definitely check out Washington Avenue just to give a little plug there. Um, True. Italian market area for sure. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, we've been we talk we've been talking a bit about the comparison between you know eating growing up and eating in America and growing up and eating in other cultures. And I think the other thing we're, we haven't touched on totally is how how people eat. You know, um, I've noticed a lot in other cultures in in Asia and also in kind of Spain um, the importance of a, a long meal. You know, people really sit down with intention and. Um, they, you know, this, things happen in an order and over time and there's not, you're not rushing through a meal. Like in America, we have fast food, you know, fast food is also developed as a, as a way to get people to eat quickly or because people feel like they're in a rush and they have, they're so busy with their lives and they don't really think about this idea of the importance of sitting down with good conversation um, with people you care about focus taking this a, a break from your day and i've found that in my in traveling that a lot of cultures maybe most cultures i've seen outside of america really value value that time that's associated with food as yeah. well which is um i think beautiful you know but it's something that we're not used to in american society yeah i definitely think that's beautiful as well and you know i think there's some, you know some we get some insight into things uh, from other cultures being in south philly with the uh you know italian uh population and their what is it the seven fishes or whatever dinner yeah. that they have yeah. on sunday nights or things like that I and mean, we have friends that you know have that every weekend the grandmas you know making all the food stuff like that and mm -hmm. that's a great example of it right there it's a tradition brought from an italian culture where they're spending like essentially i mean i'm pretty sure this stuff starts like early afternoon and they go till they pass out you know evening. <laughs> And it's just eaten course after course after course with people that you love, with your family. I mean, though, that is such a special experience. I think, you know, whether it's a tradition like that or it's like a, a well-organized dinner party that, you know, you set up with your friends and they're bringing over different things and cooking and eating together. I mean, those are some of the best memories that I can remember, um, you know, in my life, various occasions doing things like that. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, America, fast food, you, you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, it's again, you go outside, 
and there's a CVS and then there's a 7-Eleven and then there's a five restaurants and there's a supermarket. I mean, food is like everywhere in America to an overwhelming scale, as I talked about earlier, whether you're in the cereal aisle or whatever. Um, and in other countries that I've been to, I've been to way, way fewer countries than you have. Um, but it's just not like that. I mean, you walk around, there might be very specific shops to, you know, to get food in that are not just some chain restaurant or some chain brand and the nature of the supermarkets and things like that. Like, yeah, everyone to a certain degree in the, in, as this, as the world has become more globalized has trended towards like having a bunch of different, you know, types of snacks or things like that maybe in these local markets. But in the, the day, it's just, uh, you know, the fast food culture, the productivity, again, capitalistic kind of nature of things running or of how things run in American society, all kind of ties together and impacts everything. And these experiences of sitting down for these long, you know, really uh, cherished meals definitely is, I think, you know, gone away to some degree because of that culture in America. And, you know, it's, it's really nice to experience it when you can. So um, I definitely, you know, really appreciate going to other places and experiencing, you know, those sorts of traditions. Absolutely. Um, all right, cool. So I think for this episode, we decided we wanted to start getting into some like kind of gamification or yeah, some kind sure. of question and answer thing. And I thought, you know, we thought it would be really fun to do not. Well, we'll see if it's really fun or not, but <laughs> to come to each find some food facts or food myths and, you know, which we'll kind of rattle them off, I think. And if there's a reaction, we can talk about it. But I wanted to start it out. Um, I thought this was very funny um apparently yeah. apparently spaghetti is the plural form and oh. a, a single strand is called a spaghetto <laughs> uh so yeah. pretty pretty interesting uh, i i found i saw that fact too i was i don't, I don't know if i was going to share that today but i'm glad <laughs> you did because i do like that i mean i i, I hope I hope I can find an opportunity to reference a spaghetto, you know, at some point in my life and in the future. And I don't like, you know, blow it and forget it and just kind of like remember <laughs> it as I've, you know, finished eating dinner or whatever. But yeah, um, if I have someone to pass me just one spaghetto or something like that. <laughs> that'll be good enough for me and I get the use of it. So definitely a good, a good fact. A good fact. <laughs> All right. Do you have one for me? Yeah, and this one kind of blew my mind a little bit, to be to be honest with you. I mean, it's not that crazy now that I just said it blew my mind, but I don't know. <laughs> you, you guys can decide for yourselves. But um, essentially, let's see here, peaches and nectarines are the same fruit. So I feel like that kind of makes sense. Like when I think about it now, I'm like, I don't, you know, I feel like I eat way more peaches or have eaten, you know, I've eaten a lot of peaches this summer, which I'm very happy to, you know, to say because peaches are delicious, but over the course of my life, I feel like, you know, not a ton of each, but definitely when I think about the experience, I'm like, oh yeah, they, they, I think they do seem like they're basically the same thing. And what the difference is, is, okay, so they're nearly genetically identical, except for one thing. And that's a gene that's either dominant in peaches or recessive in nectarines, not to get too wordy for some of you out there, <laughs> um, but including myself, apparently. But anyway, so what, that's what determines whether the skin is fuzzy or smooth. So a peach is fuzzy and a nectarine is smooth, but it's like, that's the only difference between these two things. Like, what is this? I don't you know. I feel like that's just like a, it's not even like a similar name, a peach and a nectarine. Like those are, how do you get, how do you get from one to the other? I don't know. I'm kind of, uh, 
I feel like it just it should be common knowledge, you know what I mean? Or it should like be talked about more. Like I don't know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And and actually riffing on that one, um, I found uh, recently a friend of mine told me that uh, you can grow different types of fruits on the same tree. You can some somehow make like a high a hybrid tree. And I saw this thing called a fruit salad tree, which can grow up to six different types of fruit all on one tree. It says they are multi-grafted trees with different fruits from the same family grafted together on one tree. All the fruits retain their own characteristics like like flavor, appearance, and ripening times. So uh, yeah, mind-blowing. <laughs> I actually saw that fact too, but I didn't get all those details like about like, you know, kind of confirming that the fruit flavor, you know, maintains itself mm -hmm. within each fruit. That's very cool. Uh, just to, I guess, add to that fact is just that uh, according to the site that I found it on, these multi-grafted trees were developed in Australia. So shout out Australia, I guess. I mean, it sounds, it seems like a, an American thing to do to like be making fruit salad trees, but anyway, I mean, let me see if I, have, I can follow that one up. So this one is like a little bit, you know, actually I'm, I'm gonna use it. The fact itself might not be that crazy, but I think it'll start a little bit of a combo that's, you know, worth having. Okay. And that is that. Hawaiian pizza did not come from Hawaii. So I don't necessarily think I ever would have thought that it came from Hawaii. I don't, it's, you know, I never thought about the origin too much, but it actually was invented in Canada. So that's only the only, that's the only fact about it is like, it's not Hawaiian. It was invented in Canada. Not a crazy fact necessarily, but a little mm -hmm. bit like questionable. I'm like, okay, what is this? What is Canada trying to say about Hawaii? Like, what is, is that accurate? I don't know what that, I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much because I don't have enough information, but I will say I am someone that is 100% team Hawaiian pizza, pineapple and ham or pineapple and bacon. I think as long as it, again, it's all about ingredients, right? So like yeah. if you're getting Papa John's, actually you shouldn't get Papa John's, right? He's racist or something, yeah. right? Oh, that's true, that's true, that's true. Avoid Papa John's or don't get Papa John's or Domino's. Don't get any of those, all right? Go get some real pizza from somewhere. But if you, you know, are eating, you know, if you're, if you're just in dire need, right? Or that's what, you got some coupon and you want to use it you're going to you know pizza hut you get a hawaiian pizza it might ruin hawaiian pizza for you right but if you go to a good restaurant that is using like some very good quality bacon and some fresh pineapple and they're doing the proportions right so you're getting the salty sweet a little bit of yeah, you know exactly. the mommy flavor and the, you know the, the right amount of cheese right amount of sauce things like that i mean it's absolutely delicious like people eat people eat um you know bacon and fruit in the morning and stuff like that and like i don't understand well, how people can go from like, oh, bacon and fruit, and then they think about pizza and they're like they're like grossed out or something. It's yeah, just, that's doing too much. That's just like they're just trying to be like a part of team. No Hawaiian pizza, you know, a little bit aggressively. I don't think anyone really sees like it as a some sort of disgusting logic. Like it's actually yeah, and a lot of people are team team no Hawaiian pizza without even ever trying Hawaiian yes. pizza, which is the crazy part. And I was actually one of those people, I will admit it. Um, wow. But but I did, I did change my ways. I do love Hawaiian pizza. Mm -hmm. I also want to say shout out uh, Papa John's um, garlic sauce, but I will never eat Papa John's again. But I did at the <laughs> time when I did eat Papa John's, love the garlic sauce. It's delicious. Okay um riffing on your point this is funny that we can keep riffing i wonder who's going to end the riff but philadelphia, oh, yeah, I mean. philadelphia cream cheese has nothing to do with philadelphia it was give, given the name and this is also important because a lot of people when i um 
I'm traveling, people are like, oh, Philadelphia, like the cream cheese. And I'm like, ah, yeah, but I don't think it's from Philly, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, it was given the name because Philly was known for high quality dairy products in the 1800s, which is actually quite good marketing um, by, by whoever developed the Philadelphia brand cream cheese. But cream cheese was actually being made a couple hundred years before that in England. So that's the, the cream cheese fact. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, I am someone that definitely like when I did eat bagels as a kid, which is something that I, I've not really been a big bagel person my whole life. And as I've gotten actually recently this summer, I've had some incredible bagels you know, here in Philly. And it's made me realize that when a bagel is like done well, and it's like fluffy on the inside and like crispy on the outside and stuff like that, it's delicious. So, you know, I definitely am switched to a uh, being a bagel person or be enjoying bagels more than I used to. But I used to, you know, when I was really young, I definitely had some cream cheese on a bagel and I was like, this isn't good. Why do people do this? Oh. And I tried fry peanut butter and stuff right. like that. But it's like, definitely wasn't always a cream cheese guy, you know, oh. I, you know as I grew up. And, and again, like, just wasn't really a bagel guy. But, you know, anything Philly, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you, you like Philadelphia cream cheese? Like, of course. Yeah, like, oh. I'll act like I like it because it's Philadelphia. But, I used you know, to, now that I'm older, though, I'll say like cream cheese goes into like a lot of delicious frostings and like cheesecakes and things like that. Cream cheese is very good, but it's a very indulgent, like kind of rich tasting thing. So for me, I do typically like it more with uh, a sweet dish or in a sweet dish. But yeah, I mean, I used to do I used to do uh, cream cheese and jelly on a bagel, which I think oh, is delicious. Awesome. Also, cream cheese on a bagel sandwich with, you know, egg, fried egg and bacon was also okay. a big uh, cream cheese and tomato also banger um yeah um, those are all good i mean honestly like, i think a lot of it was just having like some you know when you have like a dense bready bagel with no flavor or, like no seasoning and stuff like that and you true. put cream cheese on it it's just like such a not good meal to have like i just i don't know i, I was i was primed to, to uh not be into it but like i said i'm you know <laughs> I'm more open and into that stuff now for sure. Actually, saw just to go off of that slight riff, not really, but okay. German chocolate cake, not actually German, invented by someone named Sam German. So uh. there's a lot more of that going on in the world. These those sorts of facts, like something being named after somebody, but not from the thing or from the place. Bro, actually, I can riff on this one. So yeah. and uh, the story behind uh, the sandwich. Uh, it was invented Ooh. by the Earl of Sandwich. Oh my God! His name was John. <laughs> his name was John Montagu. Um, apparently, he was a bit. He was a big gambler. He was on a twenty-four hour gambling streak, and he didn't want to. He wanted to eat, but he didn't want to put the cards down. And out of this, the sandwich was born, uh, which is, is it's a great, great fact. And it leads me to a question for you, which is: mm. Is a hot dog a okay. sandwich? Damn, dude! Like every time this, <laughs> I mean, first of all, or the Earl of Sandwich. That's a I would love to become, you know, earn that nickname one day for doing yeah. something about sandwiches. But anyway, uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? I feel like every time this question comes up, whether it's in like in an ad or like just you know just in in passing in my life, this has become a question that I see every so often. I always like think about it very hard and then just like never reach a conclusion to myself. So I really, I feel like I'm put on the spot here right now. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I would say like my innate instinct is to say, is to think yes, because uh -huh. it's like meat and bread and uh -huh. it's like that's, you know, a hoagie, a hoagie is a sandwich. Like I think, right. Like True. a hoagie is a roll and like you can put and so like then if like you're transitioning from a hoagie to like, 
uh, Italian sausage, which is a little bit more substantial than a hot dog, and it might be on like a bigger roll. Mm-hmm. That that's definitely to me like a a sandwich, right? Like I yeah. think that I don't, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't. I almost <laughs> like, I almost want to say no. I gotta, I gotta say no. I gotta say no. Wow, you're going no. You went from yeah, oh, yeah. Fuck, man. I don't know, dude. I just like kind of just, I just took the leap of faith and said no, and now I'm just. Uh, like, but it's just like the nuance of it. I, I, I think, think it, it should be a sandwich, but it needs there needs to be some more consensus before it can be officially a sandwich. Like my opinion on it is like it has every quality that a sandwich would have, and like I know I treat it as a sandwich. I'm putting like a lot of condiments, and if I have different like you know veggies that I can maybe put on it, I'll I'll definitely do that. But yeah, I I, yeah, I I know, bro. It's really hard. I mean, I think the reason it's hard is because it's just at least we can all agree that it's right on the border of sandwich or not sandwich and maybe that's where the line is and it doesn't really matter too much but it's a great question and actually at um vayner when i was working at vayner media there was like a months long um uh discussion uh about was is a hot dog a sandwich and actually a friend of mine uh sean curry wrote a book about hot dog recipe or no was it sandwich recipes i think it was sandwich recipes but it was hilarious because we and he was like the biggest instigator at the company about the, the discussion. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a timeless and uh, classic conversation, and I encourage you all to, to to have it. I have a little bit of like a riff, I guess. But before I get into it, I will say that one thing about it is that the hot dog. One thing about it would make me think it's not a sandwich, <laughs> even though I'm saying it is kind of. Is that is is that like you can eat a hot dog without? a bun you know what i mean like you uh, see it out there and the, and the hot dog it's still a hot dog right you're still calling it a hot dog right like so it's I like see. I it's kind of like it's, it's it's almost like it's its own thing and you're I putting see. bread around it versus like making a sandwich you know what uh, i mean so, that's a good that's a very like, good point it's weird man right that's like that's where i'm at where i'm like you know what if you just like listed like an uh, anonymous like, player comparison you had like all uh, the stats for like what a sandwich is and I all the stats for what a hot dog is I'd be like, those are the same thing. But then uh, if you like show me it for what it actually is, uh, I might be more like, oh man, I don't know. Because again, it's like, I don't know. It's it's, it's a tough call. I honestly, I think we might have, I don't know if you have any new thoughts now. That no, like, <laughs> no you just, you just kind of, I know we said this a lot this episode, you can just kind of blew my mind a yeah. bit. So and I think, I think, yeah, I need to contemplate. So we'll get back to it in the future. I really need more people. Like we need more people in this conversation to yeah, like get true. opinions on. And the thing is, though, it can't be contentious. You can't have this conversation and like just be like, "No, you're wrong," because we're all trying to figure it out. At the end of the day, I think it's more like less about your opinion on it and more about like we need to just f- figure out some sort of uh, conclusion to it. I don't know if it ever will be, but anyway. We'll I don't but think the thing so. I wanted to riff on real quick is that. Uh, another fact kind of like in this same barbecue kind of like uh cookout style you know food style uh whatever uh, is basically that so one burger patty can contain hundreds of different cows uh oh, that's gross according to the washington post yeah hamburgers are almost always a mishmash which is again i don't i wish they said like is that really is that's not the word mishmash what is what is the right uh, word that's well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Mishmash like, seems like an, uh, just like an unnecessarily gross <laughs> word for this description of this fact. Yeah. There's almost always a mishmash of many animals. Again, mishmash of many animals not doesn't sound quite the same as a like... Smorgasbord. A smorgasbord <laughs> or like a mix of a bunch of cows. Like a mix of cows 
It doesn't, it doesn't sound, sound great. Nah. It doesn't sound as bad as a mishmash of animals. It's like that sounds yeah. much better. Yeah. Yeah. Ground beef we buy at the supermarket is made of an unknown collection of muscle tissues. Again, that's like that's how they're that's how they're saying it. A mishmash of animals and a unknown collection of muscle tissues. Like it's the truth, bro. It's crazy, man. I mean, like not to go crazy on the tangent, but if you have ever seen uh, What the Health, for those of you out there. If you if you knew how the food was being made that you were eating, uh, would you would you eat some of it? I mean, honestly, like a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, when you see when you find out the truth about what goes into making our food, sometimes it does turn you off. And like I've definitely gone vegetarian for periods of time, and I try to eat less meat. Mm-hmm. I've eaten way less red meat for sure over the course of the last like five or so years mm-hmm. than I have in the past, and way less pork, you know, things like that. If you're going to the supermarket and getting certain things again, if you know where it's coming from makes it easier to make those decisions but just getting random you know meat products or beef products from different places i mean you know that fact alone like is a little bit like what is the point man like let's just have good quality food made in healthy ways and not just like just have a mishmash of animal tissue in our products i don't know yeah yeah well that, that that's just that goes back to just how how you treat food and how you create food and and if it's about quality and about local and about you know really care and your food then you're not going to have those factors you know and so i guess where, where you source your food is um is quite important um i have one last fact which i knew um already but Lobsters and oysters used to be working class food. So lab- lobsters are quite literally, it says sea insects, which I, I guess kind of makes them a bit gross yeah. now that I think about it. But they're bugs, man. they used to be chucked back in the sea or given to servants. There was actually a law on how much lobster you could serve a prisoner as too much was considered to be cruel. <laughs> wow. So uh, yeah, I mean, I this makes me think a little bit about a conversation we're going to have in a minute about, um, well, I won't get into it quite yet, but yeah, I mean, lobster, I have such a positive, um, and maybe it's cause it's tied to memories and things like that, but I love lobster and yeah. seafood and oysters and things like this. And, um, it is funny though, cause they are, you know, if you think about an oyster or a lobster, they are kind of gross to look at, but they're absolutely delicious. But, um, yeah, just pers- perspective, huh? Yeah, that's really, that is very interesting. I feel like maybe I heard that once in the past, but definitely um, did not remember that. That is, yeah, I mean, I think like perception is reality for so many things. Branding is important, obviously, as we see with stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's uh, lobster is expensive as hell, you know, in most places, in most situations. So for that to be the case, for that to be where it came from, I mean, definitely, definitely something I, I wasn't aware of. I feel like I have so many other facts I could just go yeah, on. I think we got to we got to cut it. That's been but, like yeah. 15 minutes I, of facts. <laughs> I mean, this again, honestly making me feel good about this sort of uh, gamification, you know, kind of sort of segment for sure. For sure. different um, different podcast episodes, so we'll I think we'll be back to this. I did want to so we kind of talked about how we we're going to do like facts and questions. Mm-hmm. I do have one question that I wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. And that is just how do you feel about buffets? So I think like there's an interesting angle to that in general. Like you could have had an opinion about buffets prior to the pandemic, and then there's like the kind of the pandemic angle, like the post-pandemic culture of buffets as well. So I, yeah. I won't get into all my thoughts about that stuff yet, but like just putting it out there, you can have as little or as much to say as about about it as you want. But what are what are your thoughts on buffets? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I remember growing up that we had this Chinese buffet. It was called yeah, like I Grand, King, it was buffet, Grand I King buffet. Yeah, down in South yeah. Philly, and I remember I loved going to eat, yeah. eat there, and I loved yeah, I loved buffets when I was younger. And um, what's the like big buffet chain that was like super popular? Bro, I don't know. I have yeah, no idea. Now I think of like CC's as like the pizza buffet kind of thing, but there was definitely like a. Yeah, I mean, we, we was that what it was or something like that? I don't know. I mean, I want to say that. But yeah, anyway. I mean, for, for, from the standpoint of just like diversity of food, which is I, I love having a lot of different things and um, just being able to absolutely indulge. It's it's yeah. a be beautiful thing, but obviously there's factors like food waste. Yeah. um quality of food you know they're making all this food in batches the ingredients are probably definitely not 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 good but i can't i can't help but yeah i mean for sure i would crush a buffet i would i think it's something to, nice to do once in a, once in a blue moon right. um i think it's definitely not something you should be doing on the regular no. but i have a soft spot in my heart for buffets for sure so for me, it's like my biggest buffet experiences, I guess, are just like college, like, uh, like True. dining halls, True. I mean, for the most part. And I would say that, yeah, my th I have three like areas of memories with buffets. And one of them is literally like one time going to the Grand King Buffet with you and our neighbors, I believe. And I was like, a, I was a little kid, you know, I don't know how it was, maybe like 10 or mm -hmm. five or seven or some <laughs> shit like that. But I remember being like, I was like blown away. I mean, like, oh my God, like I'm in this buffet. I'm a young kid. I'm like getting to eat, you know, all these delicious tasting foods, which again, as you talked about, are probably just like not the best ingredients, probably high in salt and sugar and th fat and things that made me like think it would taste good and all these and, you know, things of that nature. And it was a great memory. My memory of it is like awesome. Like it's such a nostalgic, like fun, like happy memory being at this buffet but thinking about buffets now, just the concept of it, like thinking about like my memories of like just walking up to take my turn and other people are like walking up or sitting down. It's just like very gross. Like honestly, a very gross environment with like, again, not saying that all people are disgusting, but it's just like you have that many people circulating. A lot of people are touching food and putting it back or like picking at it. I mean, even in Whole Foods, man, like I enjoy the Whole Foods kind of buffet selection of food that you can get um you know for dinner if you'd like or lunch or whatever but i've seen people in there just like old dudes walking up to it and like picking up a piece of chicken and eating it just to see if they like it and stuff like that and it's like you don't know how many people are doing that at buffets and now in this like coronavirus you know pandemic world that we live in especially in america i'm in general not like super pumped or interested in getting back to certain like uh you know public space um settings that you know as, as they used to be and a buffet is definitely one of them like i'm not i don't really need to be that close to people touching the food that I might be eating and things like that. I mean, it's, you know, I'm definitely not super into the concept of buffets because again, they're not going to be done right. You know, if you did a buffet perfectly and it was like clean, you made sure it was clean and, you know, made sure the selections were, um, you know, high quality and stuff like that. I'm sure it would be fun. But again, I think there's too many, uh, too many variables there. And thinking back to like my college days of eating, you know, at dining halls, again, it is an indulgent, like overeating environment where you're going to like naturally, if you're there, you know, finished your food and your friends are still eating, you might get it, eat more food because you're just trying to kill time. Like, I don't think it's the best um, environment for, you know, eating food. I was definitely trying yeah. to have muscle at points in college. So I used it as an excuse to just eat a few meals, you know, each time I went in there. But I think, I mean, I think we can agree that nobody needs buffets. Um, but yeah. If, 
if we're talking about like food, uh, variety of food all in one dish, what do you feel? How do you feel about things touching on your plate and the idea okay. of, and the idea of mixing or eating food separately? So I'm like, I feel like I've shifted completely on this over the course of my life. Like I sure. used to be like a much pickier eater. And like, I was definitely someone that was like, I don't know if I was like super aggressively like annoyed with like food touching or things like that. But um, I definitely love it now. I mean, for me, it's like, to me, that's like an it's a experience. That's a bite that I'm going to enjoy. It's like a unique bite. If I have like several different um, products or seven different, uh, not products, but seven different components to a meal, especially like you think about like Thanksgiving, like, you know, the, the mashed potatoes, like blending with the stuffing, blending with mm -hmm. the gravy and the turkey and the peas and the cranberry sauce. So you get all those different flavor profile experiences. So I think that it's awesome when food touches and that it tastes really good. I do think you have to be like a little bit smart about it. You don't want to just like make something totally. soggy that shouldn't be soggy next to some wet food, but yeah. in general, yeah, I'm I'm team uh, touch touch all the food, pile it on top of each other. Honestly, like what I've been doing a lot during the pandemic is, especially with like leftovers, I will, you know, if I have like a certain meal that I didn't finish the night before, or if I have leftovers that I want to eat from the night before, I'll put it all in a bowl, like whatever it was, like whether it was like meat and potatoes and and vegetables or pasta or anything like that, and I'll add some some like I always like I said I like add hot sauce to things I'll add some like salsa and some tortilla chips because as I'm saying I want to add a little bit of a salty crunch if I'm putting a little heat adding a little bit more vegetables to it and I almost make it kind of like a you know like a like a salsa bowl we'll call it or something like that mm -hmm. just to kind of mix a bunch of flavors and, and get a new experience of like a dish that I might have just eaten but now I'm doing it in like a very different way so mix it all up that's what I'm mishmash it all up that's what I'm about <laughs> mishmash yeah yeah. No, yeah, no, I'm on the same page. I mean, I've always been interested in mixing my foods. And I think you're right, you have to make, make sure you're, you know, you can't mix everything. But there's definitely some combinations that go way better together than on their own. Um, actually, in the past, I've gotten in a lot of arguments um, with a particular ex-girlfriend about this, this topic. Uh, but uh, I'll keep her nameless. And uh, I think we can just move on from from this. At this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so just to kind of, I guess, like transition from what we were just talking about. I mean, I know that we've had our own like kind of cooking and food experiences like during the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for me, I have been, you know, I started out the pandemic, like watching a ton of uh, Bon Appetit video content, which I talked about earlier in the episode. Mm -hmm. And it was really awesome. Like, honestly, it was really great to see the different cooking videos and kind of like I, I alluded to earlier, um, how they're kind of really designing these videos for home cooks to be able to, you know, replicate what they're making in the kitchen and not just show you something that you're not going to have access to. And I really love that. And it was really like a very comfortable, authentic feel to these videos. Um, but there was, you know, some controversy that recently you know, came out about Bon Appetit having to do with uh, their just culture of their video teams. Mm -hmm. and the culture of kind of food content in general in the brand and I know the editor-in-chief Adam Rappaport stepped mm -hmm. down due to um, a blackface photo of him coming out from a Halloween costume that he wore I, I think like you know back in the day mm -hmm. and also just the general nature of the um, discrepancy in pay and treatment of the you know different uh, staff of color that worked at Bon Appetit and honestly like watching the videos I could totally get a sense of uh 
of that, to be honest. I mean, Adam, every time he was in the videos, like, seemed like a kind of like a douchebag, to be honest. I mean, I don't want to, like, I don't know him personally, but he just seemed like kind of a jerk. And, like, he was just a little disrespectful and, and, and you know, just, I don't know, like, just some toxic traits for sure. And also, like, definitely seemed like a lot of the, you know, I know BIPOC is, uh, like, a more recent term. BIPOC, um, I believe, stands for Black, Indigenous, People, and People of Color. Um, a lot of the staff, you know, that belong to those um, demographics, they were just kind of like being used as props in these videos and not really featured in correct, in awesome ways. And also it was a lot of like, uh, you know, Southeast Asian and uh, not a lot of like black or Latino um, staff members that were shown in these videos. And honestly, like, I think zero um, black chefs that were actually featured, at least in the more prominent videos that I watched. So you know, that was a big deal and Bon Appetit actually hasn't come out with any videos since uh, yeah. since this happened and honestly I'm not really gonna go back to watching until things change or it's clear that things change I know people came out recently speaking out about how you know they're stepping down from Bon Appetit because it was kind of like all talk when Adam Rappaport you know quit and they're not really making the changes they need to um, I just got off on a tangent about Bon Appetit, but I was just trying to say that, like, they, that was big motivating stuff for me, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was watching a ton of it, you know, back when people were making sourdough bread and all these different things, I was watching Bon Appetit videos and using that as motivation to make a lot of different foods and things like that. So, I mean, have you watched any, anything good and has it motivated you or did you, like, inspired by anything during the pandemic? Well, actually, we talked about the show earlier, but, I mean, Chopped has always been one of my biggest uh, shows for inspiration because I'm not, you know, I mean, actually, even though dad is a chef, I never really was super into, into cooking and into the right. kitchen. But, um, and also, I'm not someone, like, that traditionally has had a lot of money or a lot of opportunity to, you know, buy super crazy ingredients. Uh, maybe that's not, maybe I, I have, but I've, earlier in my life, I was focusing more on, I was eating out a lot and things like that. Anyway, the point is that Chopped gives you this like crazy, these crazy different ingredients that you might find in your pantry and as right. you put them together. And I found a lot of creativity through Chopped, you know, and I think Chopped is a really cool show because it's amateur, yeah. mainly amateur chefs, um, but also, um, you know, like kind of like local restaurateurs or like local, local, local chefs. Um, who are you know not superstars but they're just good cooks from all different types of backgrounds black white hispanic asian all types of things yeah. um, and they're cooking all kinds of different food with all kinds of different ingredients and to me i always found that super inspiring um, and during the pandemic you know some days we get really down low on our ingredient list and yeah. trying to think about okay how do i mix and match what we have in our pantry which is another good lesson you know too because a lot of times we're thinking about you know, oh, we don't, I don't have food in my closet or my pantry. And then you look in there and you can really pull a lot out of like a very few ingredients. So I think it's important in terms of food waste that you always look at what you have and not just think about what you don't have. Yeah, I think that's a really good point on just made me think about like kind of going back to tying everything together back in the beginning of this conversation about like nutrition and knowing what the ingredients are that you're using. That's mm -hmm. so true with like the pantry as well. I mean, people, you know, beans, like people might just have like loose, you know, stuff like, you know, loose, uh, no, not loose. I don't know why I'm saying the word loose, but you might just have like random things like in your pantry, like you alluded to, whether it's mm -hmm. a can of beans or you know, a pack of pasta or things like that and some random vegetables. And you might think, oh, I don't have the nutritional, um, you know, diversity that I need for to make a real legitimate meal. But honestly, like use some 
a little bit of cheese, a little bit of veggies, a little bit of beans, some pasta, you're getting carbs, you're getting, you're creating a com more complete protein that way. And there really are ways to make awesome meals with just the loose things that you have in your, in your closets or in your kitchens. And that's something that I really was into during the pandemic or during quarantine. And honestly, all the time I'm into that stuff, but obviously a lot more so being at home as often as, as I have been. And mm -hmm. you know, again, like seeing, I think a lot of people get the feeling that, you know, being a chef means you have to like follow some like French guidelines that are too impossible to figure out or do things a very specific way. But a lot of food content in general, I think shows that it is like a feel thing and it, it, mm -hmm. it can be done and there's a million different ways to get to a good result when you're making food. And I think that that's what I do love about a lot of food content these days that it is that it is inspiring mm -hmm. um, to get home cooks, just like feeling confident and trying things and understanding that you might burn something, but then you can do this to make it a little bit better or like, you know, you can, there are ways to make things work and things don't have to be perfect and that's cooking and that's life. And that comes from, you know, uh, Brad Leone, who's a Bon Appetit guy that, uh, seems to be one of the good ones. I hope, I hope I don't find anything out about him. That's not great. He seems like a good guy, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he always says that's cooking, that's life. And that's, and I think it's really, really, uh, a microcosm of what life is like is cooking and is sharing food. As we've talked about the good and the bad, the difficulties, the stress, the anxiety, the, you know, getting to that final product and be able to sit down and enjoy it. So, yeah. I definitely, honestly, also think that like Shopped is the least problematic, maybe, arguably, I don't know if it is the least problematic food content show out there, but uh, you made a great point about how the different people that they sh you know show on it. Mm -hmm. I really do feel like if I think back at all the episodes I've seen that there has been an extremely wide representation totally. of different types of people. And that is awesome to see. And on top of the cooking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think I also like the show because it's a co competition too, and some of yeah. my favorite my favorite cooking shows are co competitive oriented. So just to rattle a couple of them off, um, there's also um, Iron Chef America, which which um, has two chefs with a team. Each of them they battle against each other. Um, they have one secret ingredient, and they have to create like I think it's five or six dishes um, for a judge table, which is incredible. Um, I like also um, there's one called Crap, what is it called now? I think, what's the one where it's home cooks? Master Chef? Master Chef is home cooks. Master yeah. Chef with Gordon Ramsay. It was a Fox show. I, I also especially loved the um, childhood, um, like the, the children episode. Uh, there's a, Master sorry, there's Junior. Master Chef Junior, exactly. Yeah, where, you know, these kids are like seven or eight years old, like cooking these baller, baller yeah. dishes. And the other, the last one was, I wanted to say, was actually a Netflix show and it was a British show. And it's called, oh man, it's it's some it's fa it's families cooking together, and I forget what it's called exactly, but it's really cool because it's these families coming together. They're all in the there's three people on each team. They're all cooking against each other. Um, they're you know amateur chefs, but it just shows you kind of you know the beauty behind. And there's a lot of diversity in that show too. You know, people are yeah. cooking kind of Indian based dishes or Caribbean based dishes or classic English dishes. And again, competition, I think mean, I'm a big fan of competition yeah. and good food. So those, I think that pairing is some, some of my favorite cooking shows. Yeah, for, for those of you that don't, uh, you know, that Sam, you know, he didn't remember the name of that show. I think I'm a big proponent of keyword searches in Google. So Netflix, family show, you know what I mean? You do some of that in the, in the search bar. Should be mm -hmm. able to find it. Maybe he'll find it. Oh, there we go. The, the big family cooking showdown. Hey, the big family cooking show. That sounds like a keyword. <laughs> so exactly. But for me, I agree. I like a lot of those shows too. I've never seen the big family cooking show. But that sounds very cool. 
I love Chopped, as we said. I just saw actually that they have a new thing called Chopped Sweets, which is like something I've actually, I love, as you know, I love sweets and I love dessert and stuff like that. So I'm big into like baking shows, so like the Great Brit- British mm-hmm. Baking Show mm-hmm. um, is an awesome one on Netflix and BBC, I'm pretty sure, but it's just a bunch of charming British people <laughs> making delicious baked goods and it's it's pretty great. There's like yeah, several. And I think one that you didn't mention that is a Food Network show that I really love probably sometimes like I'm more into than Chopped. I mean, Chopped is like the best show, you know, I think the most consistently yeah. great show all the time, but Cutthroat Kitchen is another really good one. So that's with like Alden Brown. And basically it's like mm-hmm. people, each, each contestant gets a certain amount of money and they can bid on different sabotages for the different um, courses. And it's really wild stuff. I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to replace all of your you know, pots and pans and utensils and knives with aluminum foil. And they just have to like cut everything with aluminum foil and like fashion, you know, fashion different tools out of it and things of that nature. Or it's like they have to like ride a stationary bike while they're cooking or they have to use like an easy bake oven, like different really crazy sabotages that people fit on. And the winner walks away with whatever they're left of in terms of the money that they didn't spend on sabotages. So it's kind of a very strategic, like multifaceted cooking game. Yeah. Um, but just one like nuance about Food Network shows, especially, I mean, this is in all, you know, reality shows and competition shows. This happens a lot, but definitely in Chopped, I feel like I notice a lot of the like sound effects and like the music they're playing, like really gets you into like what's happening. It's like very much yeah. like an, you know, action film sort of style, like sound. It's like, like they're just really like getting you going when, oh, this thing's on fire. They just play some like sound effect where you're like oh man someone must have just died like the way that they're kind of like inducing a feeling in you so i think it really is fun to watch these shows and as i said chop to me is like the least problematic partially because like as much as i love master chef junior and things like that there is there's one thing they do on master chef master chef junior where sometimes they'll have like you know they want to reveal whatever the cooking like task or the cooking um you know challenges for that week and they're like oh this week we're making you know ice cream and they'll just like have this like introductory thing where there's like pressing a button and they're just like pouring soft serve ice cream all over all of the hosts like gordon yeah. ramsay and uh yeah. um Ron sanchez i think is one of them and then uh who's the uh, momofuku milk bar i'm pretty sure i forget her name she's so she's one of my favorite chefs yeah. i'll look it up in a second um but basically it's just like oh my god what a what a what a horrible waste of food it's like they're just dumping like all the like you know it looks like pounds and pounds and pounds of ice cream or pounds of like rice or like you know popcorn or just i'm just like man like all that stuff could be going to like people <laughs> in and they're just literally like making That's a true. food show where they're like wasting it on the host of the show it's just like That's that true. thing is like you know really kind of makes me cringe a little bit and like i said you know chopped it or using like a random assortment of ingredients that they have to repurpose and make shine and not just go to waste. So it's like a much more, I think I can uh, sleep at night better when I watch Chopped and MasterChef Junior sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, one of my favorite, actually maybe my all time favorite cooking show, series, whatever, which I think actually touches quite nicely on many things we've been talking about today. So like diversity of food or where food comes from or you know, really like storytelling and food is Chef's Table, which is on Netflix. And um, I've been watching it since the first season. And actually my first, my favorite episode, I think is the first episode of the entire series, if I'm not mistaken, with this uh, Argentinian chef named Francis Maman, who I'm not sure if it's him, that's how you say his name, but I'm going to just say it that way, um, who 
has an amazing story around food and really like every episode of that show is just incredible and it really shows you why people cook um the story behind their cooking um the style the ingredients the choices there's one with a, a korean um nun um who who uh, cooks for her monastery and she talks all about um you know having a, a wild garden and 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 you know like imperfect looking food for example um just really uh, uh choosing food wisely and choosing ingredients wisely and anyway i really recommend chef's table in terms of just the story around food um and and there's just really incredible incredible narratives and, and amazing cinematography on that show so i would highly highly recommend it especially the francis Mamon episode and in season two i believe it is her name is um i might butcher it again but jong kwan um, and she's the a Korean nun who has an incredible philosophy around food. Yeah, that's all. I've only seen a few episodes of Chef's Table that you've recommended to me, but they've been mm -hmm. great each time. Definitely more of like an artistic angle and kind of into the backstory of these people and the things they're cooking and, you know, shot very visually, um, visually in cool, cool ways, like almost like kind of like a planet Earth like style, but with cooking and yeah. Um, I really enjoy those shows a lot. Christina Tosi is the name of the other sure. judge on MasterChef sure. and MasterChef Junior. Yeah. Who I'm a huge fan of. I actually saw, like, not to, you know, go on another random little tangent. I know we're wrapping it up probably pretty soon. But <laughs> um, one of the first, like, uh, YouTube Vice Munchies is, like, a sub-brand of, uh, of, the, of the content company, media company Vice. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first Munchies videos I ever saw on YouTube was with Christina Tosi. And this was before she was like hosting all these shows on Food Network and before she really blew up. I mean, she's been a very successful and, and uh, kind of famous, you know, I guess, in the baking world um, chef for a long time or baker for a long time. But this video is on YouTube. I highly recommend people check it out. It's a short little video. And that's something that I've meant to make like a million times, but never really gotten around to doing. But it's basically how she makes the perfect cookie dough, chava chip cookie dough cookies. Mm -hmm. And it's like her style of making just these delicious uh, chava chip cookies that she essentially like cooks on a very high heat so that the outside gets crispy, but the inside doesn't cook all the way through. And it's like creates this perfect chava chip cookie dough cookie experience and really awesome little munchies video you can watch, you know, to get some inspiration or just to kind of you know entertain yourself for a little bit. But Christina yeah. Toast she's awesome um shout out mama foku milk bar yeah, yeah. i actually uh, had some of that cake some of her her birthday cake from milk bar and it's like oh my god so good birthday cake the compost cookie i know mom loves milk yeah. bar and i used to bring her for christmas sometimes i'd bring her some milk bar stuff man i we could honestly i mean talk we'll probably have to do another food episode bro because oh, we, we actually <laughs> we, we missed a whole segment i wanted to get into which i won't even reveal on this uh yeah. this this episode because i don't even want to start to think about it but um it was a great time talking about food um it's yeah. it's 11 30 p.m here and i've had a full day of food but honestly i'm thinking about food a lot right now so yeah, I mean, like last night you know it was my like kind of like cheat night you know to eat some eat some bullshit and eat some ice cream and stuff and i'm pretty full but definitely working my appetite up again like having this conversation so <laughs> absolutely might have to eat something after this so. <laughs> so, so harry started the episode off with a positive psych quote and i'm gonna finish it today with one of my own um, i found it from 
Um, this man named Ramana Maharshi, I think his name is, he was an Indian Hindu sage and Jivan Mukta, which means liberated being. He was anyway, a very spiritual man and quite an intelligent man. He lived um, from 1879 until 1950. And a questioner once asked him, how should we treat others? And his response was, there are no others. And um, yeah, when I read this quote, I just, oof, it really hit me. And um, I, th I thought about it a lot. And um, I think, you know, I do think, and what the quote is really saying is, you know, we are one, you know, that, the, that everything that um, you are, I am, and, you know, really when you think about it, you know, this is a different conversation, but we are all stardust in a way we're all came from the yeah. same planet you know and in the end we you know and, and i think we are all connected no matter what your belief system is in the end you know we're all connected and we are all one and some of the, this idea this very classical saying of like treat others the way you want to be treated i know it's not quite that but you know um i think that's just an important thing to think about you know, for us all to, I don't want to talk about it too much, but I just, just think it's something to reflect on this, this concept of there are no others. And um, yeah, I found it very powerful myself and it's been stuck in my head for a couple of days. So I wanted to share it with the audience. But yeah, honestly, I thought the same thing when you said, you know, we are star stuff, you know, referencing Cosmos, which is an awesome uh, series on Netflix, but not to get into that. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about this, you know, the science of that, of that quote that you said, which is that there are no others. I mean, we, you know, there's a law of physics that matter cannot be created or destroyed. And that's just how it is. I mean, we cannot, you know, manifest uh, another person just by using some magic and creating something in front of us. Like people come from other people and, you know, things are recycled throughout the world, whether it be actual plastic products or it's, you know, uh, a tree dying and falling in a forest and then eventually being absorbed back into the ground to create a new tree. I mean, everything is intertwined and connected and there really are no others. We're all in this together, like you said, and I think that's a really great quote. Thanks, bro. But yeah, and yes, you know, that's, I guess that's the, you know, to wrap it up for the day. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, so for those of you that are listening again on Anchor, uh, get uh, Cut Em In is the name of the song. Let me make sure that's the name of the song. Yeah, Cut Em In by Anderson Pock featuring Rick Ross. Mm -hmm. Awesome song, awesome sound. Um, check it out on Spotify or whatever streaming service you use. And if you're listening on Anchor, I hope you enjoy the last little snippet. But yeah, it's been fun, awesome conversation, great quotes. And uh, I mean, food is like the best thing in the world, probably, um, in my opinion. So do this many more times for sure absolutely yeah. yeah on that note i'm gonna get a bite to eat it's been a real pleasure as always looking forward to the next one and to the audience thank you for your attention yeah man it's been a, it's eclectic with sam and harry episode three uh you know stay tuned for some more podcasts coming up and like we said in the last episode some solo pods as well so uh it's been fun it's been great have a have a great one everybody until next time so eat something good eat something yeah good. absolutely <laughs>